This is the Spark Podcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. A number of years ago, Taylor Shaw was working on a project, and she wanted to hire a black female animator, someone that looked like the characters that she was creating. But the task was not as easy as she had anticipated. Eventually, after some searching, she did find one black female animator, and then a second, and then a third, and then seven. And then she had a thought. What if there was a place for these black female creators to come together, learn from each other, support each other, and raise each other up? And so the Black Girl Animators Collective was born. And then a few years later, at 22, Taylor launched Black Women Animate, a studio founded by a black woman, featuring black creatives, and created content that we haven't seen before. And now the studio is four years old. I recently had a chance to speak with Taylor, and we talked a little bit about the accomplishments of the studio in the last four years, how she became interested and involved in this type of work, and what's in the future both for her and for the studio. Here's my conversation with Taylor Shaw. Let's jump in, because I wanted to start by turning back the clock. I want to know about young Taylor. So I I thought we could start by talking a little bit about, you know, what kind of kid were you? Like, what was it like growing up in Chicago? What were you into? What, what sparked this passion? As a kid, I was very, I was what they used to call as a tomboy. I don't know what language we're using now, but but I was very active, um, definitely a little explorer and always watching something. Um, so I loved all the PBS specials. I don't know if it's also called PBS, where where y'all are. Yep, yep. PBS. We get PBS. Yeah, yeah. All of that content. Love me some Rugrats. Everything on Nickelodeon and like um, the Codename Kids Next Door. Like lots, lots, and lots of consuming all of that uh, content. But really, as a kid, um, I I think I always had this real sense of like self-belief and a desire to um to be fully expressed and and I think that little girl is what fuels me now um her just desire to explore and her in her interest uh the interest in like being a sponge and soaking up so much like knowledge and information um so I was definitely one of those nerdy I guess I was cool, but like a nerdy cool kid who got, who got good grades um, in class. But uh, my conduct grade was maybe a little bit lower because I talked a lot. <laughs> um, so, so, so that's who Taylor the kid was. Um, and I just remember um, I actually was the happened to be the valedictorian of my eighth grade class. And at that time, I told everyone that I wanted to be a talk show host. So, so maybe one day with Instagram, anyone can be a talk show host. So maybe that'll happen soon. Um, but, but yeah, um, that's, that's kind of who I was. I love that question. (laughs) So actually this is a nice tie in because I was curious about how you, so I know you went to school for journalism, but now where you've ended up is not like that far removed, but it's not really on the same path. 
But the fact that, you know, you wanted to be a show, a talk show host kind of now, now I understand why journalism in, you know, in, in university, in college, clearly you had a, an idea of what you wanted to do with your life and you wanted to be a change maker from the get go. I mean, being a talk show host is not just about being on TV. I get the sense from you and from everything that you do that there was a reason behind that that's much bigger than just, you know, being on television. So I'm curious about, you know, making the decision to actually pursue something like that in your life, in, in, in your career, you know, so, so, you know, you're in eighth grade, you want to be a talk show host, but then you actually go to school and, and you try to do this. Can you talk a little bit about that process and making the decision of how you want to sort of move forward with your dreams and your aspiration? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, I think... One, I want to say growing up, I had a community. I'm from Chicago, from the south side of Chicago. And I had a community that really poured into me and always told me that I could, whatever I wanted to do, I would do it. Um, And so they're also, you know, you don't always see a ton of like black women owning space on television in positions of power. And of course, who is the black female talk show host that like everybody knows and is... (laughs) And is in a huge position of power, Oprah. So I think for me and seeing Oprah, and also I think Tyra Banks had a talk show when I was growing up. So and seeing Oprah and even Tyra um, and just seeing just the storytelling aspect of being a talk show host and all the different people you get to meet and also how they inspire me, um, it really intrigued me and and that was something that I wanted to do. Um, And so fast forward, I'm like, okay, well, you want to be a talk show host, you have to go to journalism school. Um, And so in journalism school, though, I think my like kind of subconscious desire for representation started to surface for me. And I started to realize like, oh, there actually aren't a ton of, you know, black female news anchors. There are, there are enough, but we have to talk a certain way and look a certain way. And I changed my hair. You can't change your hair. You have to be this cookie cutter person. And I didn't have an interest in being that cookie cutter person. And then I started to really look at behind the scenes. Oh, the producers have the power. Um, Cause my journalism school, um, I had the opportunity to really start to produce and, and I didn't see, so you would see more folks maybe on camera, but I didn't see anyone behind the scenes. And I'm like, Oh, wait, wait, this is where I want to be. I want to be calling the shots here because I don't see anyone here. And my instincts are to be more inclusive of the folks that, you know, maybe look like me or who are otherwise not, not just black folks. And so, um, that kind of led me to seeing, okay, maybe I don't want to be on camera. Maybe I want to be a producer. Um, and the jump to animation <laughs> that really happened, um, because I actually had the opportunity to work at a television show in South Africa when I was in college. And that experience just really taught me, what, what were you talking about? Life is too short. Um, and for me, it was, it was just such a, come coming home to self learning who I am exploring the world and I realized I didn't want to tell stories um in the way that journalists do it and I also noticed at that the news station that I was at that there weren't many people there weren't there weren't really any black people were in South Africa but there weren't any black people really in positions of power um uh who were the executives etc so for me I wanted to 
coming out of that experience, one, I didn't want to be a journalist <laughs> when I graduated with a journalism degree, but I wanted to find ways to create and control narratives. Um, and so fast forward to me graduating and being like, okay, hey, mom and dad, I have this journalism degree, but I'm not going to use it. Um, I'm going to use the skills that I've gained and like my writing ability to create content um, that really speaks to me and hopefully speaks to folks who the zeitgeist um, has not really traditionally looked at as like, hey, we want to tell your stories. Um, so that's how I got into animation because I love shows like The Boondocks and I wanted to make a black girl version of that and have it be very action-packed and all about smashing the patriarchy and women being awesome. Um, and so I'm still developing that show, but really that show is the reason that Black Women Animate exists because um, it was my first real, it's my first real attempt at pushing back against the systems that be and saying, and saying, hey, you know, I want to create my own narrative um, based on, you know, my experiences and the experiences of other people that, that I know. I think it's really fascinating. One of the things that I was curious about is um, with Black Women Animate, like, I just think of the average person would be like, okay, I'm going to do this for myself. But you then turn around and you don't just do that, but you create a space where it's safe, not just for you, but you start bringing in all of these other people. So how do you start thinking about turning that into a positive? Because that's exactly what you've done. You've taken a negative and you flipped it on its head and you've made it a positive, not just for yourself, but in the process, you've empowered an entire community of people. Mm. Ooh, look how you just how you put together. <laughs> You're the youngest CEO in animation. These are the big questions that we all want to know about because we need to inspire more young people to to take the initiative that you have taken. I think that's so inspiring. Thank you so much, Marina. I, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, ooh, where to start with that? <laughs> well, let's start with Black Girls Animation Collective. Like, yeah. uh, you know, how did that kind of uh, start and what was the process for getting that off the ground and running and then mm -hmm. the shift of that into Black Women Animate? Yeah, absolutely. So the show that I, I described that we're still developing, I was looking for a Black female animator, couldn't find one, slowly started to find one, two, then I found five. That turned into seven. And those are the women that I had initially working on the project. Um, and so in talking to them, I was asking them, you know, oh, I noticed that a lot of them had like jobs as baristas and jobs doing all these other things that was not their art. And they weren't having enough time to work on their art. And it was really hard for them to get jobs in the field. And so I... I thought, hey, actually, the one real thing about how the collective actually started is that none of them knew each other, which I thought was insane. None of them, they, a lot of them graduated from animation programs. None of them knew each other. And they lived, where, I'm in New York, I'm in Brooklyn. They all lived not too far away from each other. Um, and then a lot of them were the only Black women, like, either in their school or in their university or in that year of, yeah. of schooling and university. I personally thought that was crazy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, and so 
that's really how the collective started. It was just, just seeing this need for community building um, and also meeting the need for the content. Um, and for me with the content, it, it's not just about me and it wasn't just about me. If it was just about me, um, that show would probably have like already been out and <laughs> we would be like, you know, it'd be out in the ether and there'd be a ton of episodes, but the show almost got paused because in talking to every like woman and, you know, different, um, genderqueer folks of color that we started to become a community with, my focus began to be like, okay, let's actually start a company that is going to be able to hire um, these folks to work. Um, And so now as we're a studio and we're going into the fourth year, which is so great because you've you've known me since the beginning. So (laughs) so I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I know. Like since the beginning. Um, But but yeah, I think the the studio really coming together, the design and the show even pausing, I think is just like, hey, there is a whole movement here that needs to happen and it goes beyond um my own personal, you know, desires. This this idea that I had in this one show was able to create a whole company that now we do like a bunch of commercial work and we are developing our IP. Um, but I think we had to go through the whole process of creating a space um, and letting these other young folks know that you can also create a space. And um, and I love what you said about taking a negative and turning it into a positive um, because I'm a straight shooter and I just, I was like, okay, well, we need black women in animation. So let's name the company Black Women Animate <laughs> because I want people to engage with the name and I want one, for it to be a call to black female animators to know you're not alone because again, so many of them are the only one. It's just, it's unbelievable that so many of them are the only one in the, for the industry when I talk to different studios and production companies and and for them to think, oh wait, do I even know a black female animator? And a lot of them do not. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have never worked with a black female animator, didn't even know that they existed, and they've been in animation for years and years and years. Um, so, so yeah, I think we have to turn it into a positive because I encounter every day so many fabulous artists whose talent speaks volumes. And if we can just create more space and opportunity for them to thrive, for them to get work, for them to be able to eat as artists, like, you know, it's so hard for anyone as an artist to have a sustainable career. Mm-hmm. So tack on being a woman and tack on, you know, being a person of color, um, it's not easy to survive. So yeah, it's been it's been great to create a space where folks can make work that they're proud of and and pay their bills, which which I believe in. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious about your relationship with J Love because I I'm curious about how you two met and how you started working together because she seems like you know she's the other half, the other integral part of this equation. Yes, so I, yeah. I'm curious about that relationship and how you two came to to know each other because you come from slightly different backgrounds so I'm, I'm curious about you know the connection how that could be. yeah oh that's such a great question and it's so funny um I was actually pre-pandemic I was planning for JLF to come with me to spark um so because she because you all haven't met yet um so I'm I'm hoping that when all is back to normal that can happen um but yeah you know JLF and I met I I 
I, she's the most amazing human. Um, and we met on set. I used to work at Vice and she was on camera talent and she was speaking about how to be an ally. J-Love is a white, she identifies as a white woman. Um, and she was speaking about like how to be an ally. Um, or as now she likes to say accomplice because she's like in the trenches with, with you. Um, and so the energy just really matched and we connected um and so our our relationship we started to spend more time together and work on different projects um and over time I shared you know black women animate um with her and she wanted to be on board and became the managing partner like from the from the jump of us um making the making BWA a company um, so J-Love, you know, is, is truly an example of what is possible, um, when we, when we get out of our own, own way of like what we've, what the world has taught us, you know, um, about if she just truly, truly embodies accomplishment and, and not just allyship. And, and what I mean by that is she's always putting, honestly, with this company, she's a white woman. So she's always putting black women first. She's always putting the marginalized first. She's always thinking about how to build equity. And I think for a lot of folks in the industry, it's scary to do that um, because you feel like you're, you're going to lose your positioning when you do it. But it, it, she always speaks about everything being a both and. And we believe that when, you know, the lowest of the low in, in our world, like if black women rise, everyone can rise. Um, if people of color rise, you know, we can all rise. Um, and so, yeah, I just I love working with J-Love. She's been there from day one. J-Love as our managing partner is really the embodiment of accomplishment. And I know that can be pretty scary. Um, the act of it is really putting others before yourself. And we're in an industry where that doesn't doesn't necessarily happen. We're all looking to be recognized. We're all looking to be recognized for who we are as artists, for, you know, the output, what we can deliver, um, for how create just how creative we are. And it's about us like or me as an individual and J Love comes to Black Women Animate as a ally accomplice and saying, No, I wanna see black women rise, knowing that if folks who have not had certain opportunities are given the space to rise, like then we can then we can all rise truly, um, because the world is more fair and equitable for them. Um and so I just really appreciate um the positioning that she she has taken in the company um, because it is, is, is a true example. And I can't wait to hear her talk more about this and for folks to know more about just how from a day-to-day she in every action chooses equity. Um, and I think right now it's kind of hard for us, right, in the animation industry or entertainment industry to, under, to get the payoff of that because we don't have many examples of it. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to be making history with her because my hope is that Black Women Animate can serve as an example of equity in the industry and and hopefully a successful example so folks can say oh look at you know the success of this X number of folks got hired they brought in X amount of revenue it had X amount of impact and it's doable and actually it's better than what we're doing because we're not even thinking about 
any of this when we're making shows. We're just treating all of our artists like they're a part of uh, manufacturing <laughs> and not treating people like they're people um, and not really um, making it, making our work something that communities can be proud can be proud of. And there's there's places taking those steps, but um, I think the industry can really quantum quantum leap it and and do a lot more because we're totally self-funded company. So if we're able to do any of this, like <laughs> these studios with billions of dollars should be able to figure it out. I'm really curious because I know that you're partnered with Cartoon Network very early on. They were an early supporter and they have been with you from the beginning. And are you finding that now with, um, you know, the fact that there has been a bit of a movement uh, with Black Lives Matter and people being more aware, white people being more aware of the strife and what we often do without even thinking that brings down people of color uh, mm-hmm. and that, that keeps them down. Do you find that there is more of, um, that people are more open in general now to speaking about this and like tackling it head on rather than kind of sweeping it away and oh, we'll deal with that later when it comes up again? Yeah, um, really great question. And I think that the world is in a space now where they don't have the option to not even, to not say that they care. Um, you have to say something because the pressure is there and what we learn from like millennials and the next generation um, I think Gen Gen Z, right, is that they really care about a brand's or a company's mission and how they live it out, and they won't consume said brand or company if um, if it doesn't feel aligned. In in the pressure, I think that a lot of uh, the world is getting post George Floyd and post all, like it's these companies are realizing, oh, we have to do something, and so it's really interesting because when we first started. BWA, I would get, I got the feedback from someone at a major studio is that, oh, well, you know, our studio will just never work with you because the name of the company is Black Women Animate. (laughs) Fast forward, and now everyone wants to work with us. And like you said, Cartoon Network has worked with us from the beginning, you know? Um, And so the shift is happening, I think. I think what I've just had to pay attention to because we've been doing this kind of grassroots work is, okay, are you doing it because you have to in this moment or are you doing it because you recognize that a shift and a change really has to happen and you and you want to make a serious commitment to that change? Um, that's kind of the, the filter that I'm kind of uh, working through and considering um, who is doing what. Um, in the industry and how um, and how at least Black women animate relates to either that individual or that company um, because we've we've been the same from day one. We haven't changed. Uh, the world has changed and the world is waking up. But we've 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 known that this was an issue. Um, and I think just the marginalization of Black women specifically, if there isn't really a study, at least for the U.S., that even speaks to how many Black women, women of color, are in the animation industry. Like, we don't even have that data. We have a study on women, but the numbers of, you know, women of color, Black women, Indian women, Indigenous women, like, we don't even have that information. So I think just not having that information tells us so much, right? about the state of the industry and where we are. And I think if if studios and 
um, companies that are doing animation um, don't understand that um, or don't, I guess everybody understands it now, but if they don't do anything about it um, in a real tangible way, that's, to me, that's a problem um, because it's it's not that hard. It's I don't think it's that hard. Um, if I can figure it out, <laughs> I think... <laughs> The examples that we have of success um, aren't necessarily people that are talking about sharing and sharing is caring and lift up thy neighbor. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of talk, but there's not a lot of action. And yeah. I think that's why what I think that one of the reasons why I think what you're doing is so important is because you don't just talk it, you're doing the action. Like you're putting your own career on pause um, as as a creator to to create a space where everybody can thrive and I, it, it's not an easy thing to do and I commend you for it because it's such an important thing that you're doing and I really don't think you give enough yourself enough credit for the work that you're doing and, and, and I'm really curious about um, what do your parents think about all of this you know oh. <laughs> you started as wanting to be a journalist that didn't go the way that you thought. And then you tell them you're going to be an animator and you're still, you're there kind of, but you're not quite there, but you have to uh, assume that they're um, super thrilled. They've raised this amazing daughter that is basically raising up the entire community. <laughs> they're, uh, <laughs> they're really proud. And, um, and I'm just really grateful to my parents for never questioning me. <laughs> They've always trusted, uh, even when they might have been afraid, they've always trusted that I had some type of plan. Um, and so my parents, they've they've told me that they're really proud and they're not, pr what I appreciate about my parents, and I think this, this is why I am who I am. My parents aren't really proud of um, what I've, uh, they aren't the most proud of what I've accomplished as me, for me as an individual. They are proud of um, what you just shared is that my intent is to support the community and that in me gaining any accolades or success or whatever, you know, the world deems is success like that, the visibility, which I don't hold, I don't, it doesn't bear much weight for me. Um, they are really proud that my goal is to support community and create more opportunity and access for people that don't have it. So for them, I think they've, they always kind of um, saw me and I appreciate that my parents saw me. And so now um, I'm able to just like be me <laughs> because again, nobody ever told me that I, I couldn't do what I'm doing. And so I went to journalism school and upon graduating was like, I'm not going to apply to any, I didn't apply to a job. I was like, I'm just not going to do this. And then I just went to Atlanta and, and got some work on television shows. And I moved to New York without a job and was like, okay, I'm going to make something happen here. And that same year, uh, the collective started and I was working in television and I was finding my way. Um, and I think my parents are just, proud of how I've worked to stick to that vision of creating something that really is for community. Um, and also in the content that I'm creating, because I do talk to them about that. Um, I think they're proud that it also 
is is this is who I am. I think they're proud of who they've raised, and I think um, who I am is is based on how both my parents are, who are very they really care about other people and care about supporting folks. And my mom has always taught me if you have it and you're able to um, to support other people, support other people. Both my parents are, you know, retiring actually now and they're both starting their own businesses and and doing quite a bit. And they're all of they're very community minded also. So um, so I they're proud. I hope I can keep making them proud. <laughs> um can you tell you, you touched on something that I think is really interesting. Um, can you talk a little bit about making those decisions to go somewhere or to make the step or the jump, take the jump to go somewhere without like a concrete plan and then getting there and thinking, okay, I need to do something. You know, it's so difficult. Like a lot of people will, they'll grow up in one place, they'll stay in one place, they'll work in one place and they kind of feel like this is their life and that's fine. But they kind of feel like, what if I had done something else? How do you start to think about taking that next leap? Like, when do you know that the time is now to make a change, even if you're not sure what's going to be on the other side of that once you take the step? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it part of your just your adventurous spirit? <laughs> <laughs> I am a risk taker, <laughs> for sure. Um, so it's interesting that you say, like, you said, like, without a plan, because honestly for me i the plan the plan is like for me to go like the plan is okay my plan is i'm gonna go here i'm gonna get a job doing this and that's what's gonna happen that's the plan (laughs) i have this crazy story i don't know if we have time for it but i have this crazy story about when i moved to new york and i was gonna go to graduate school here i got into this really amazing program at NYU, but I didn't get it for free. So I actually moved to New York um, to con- to spend a year hanging around the school to convince them to give me a job where I would go for free. So I, my plan is all, <laughs> that's a crazy story um, for another day, but my plan really is, is always the plan. And I just do whatever I can to make it happen. But honestly, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with being from a place, staying there and working there. Um, I think for me, though, I knew that there was more. I believe there was more opportunity for me in in New York. Um, And it's an experience I wanted to have. So I made the move. And and what goes on in my head um, is what do I have to lose? Um, Like, what do I have to lose? Just have have the experience, like allow it to happen. Failure is it's not failure because you you took the leap of faith, even if it doesn't work out. Um, you you can always pivot if you have the option to go back home. Like for me, I thought my worst case scenario was like, look, I have I run out of money and I have to go back home and and figure it out from there. But at least like I. I did it. I can say that I did it. And there's nothing to say that you can't go back. There's nothing to say, you know, that you don't make a contact. And even though you go home, you stay in contact with that person. And, and it leads to something else. Like the self-belief, I think is what's fueling, what really fuels me. Um, and my belief in um, my purpose, which I believe is to build equity in the entertainment industry for, for black women. Um, because when black women rise, I believe we can all rise. Like that is really what 
is guiding me. Um, and so it's not, it's definitely not easy to go to a place that like you've never lived before and that's expensive. Um, and to, and to just take the jump. Um, but yeah, my, my philosophy a lot of the time is what do I have to lose? And if I give it my all, I, I know what my all looks like. And if I give it my all, then it's gonna, it's gonna be great. Like it's gonna be great. And and it doesn't always mean that it works out. And life actually does not work out how you think it's going to work out most of the time. And you always end up where you're supposed to be. And that's been my experience. Um, yeah, it, I cannot say that it's always worked out how I imagine. I cannot say that it's always been easy. Um, but I've always been okay because I've always like believed in myself and believed in what's possible when I'm pursuing my purpose. It's been a rough four years, but the last year has been particularly tough. And I'm curious about how um, how you guys have managed to go get through this pandemic, and how how did how did if any if in any way did, did the business shift or did you have to shift focus? Uh, what what kind of the changes that were going through Black Women Animate and with yourself? How did you guys get through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, you know, surprisingly, because of the because of the pandemic and everything that happened with George George Floyd and the uprisings here um, across the board in, in America, um, it was a great time for animation. <laughs> it really was. I mean, because um, a lot of entertainment folks, like all they could do was animation. So we got a ton of inquiries and built a lot of relationships and got, you know, some good work. And then with everything that happening on the Black Lives Matter front, um, everybody wanted to hire black creatives. So, so you know, we we got actually we got a ton of inquiries and worked with some really awesome people. Um, and the shift in terms of work was we ended up doing a lot of inclusion and diversity consulting. Um, J Love and I and our team, um, because the industry does need that, and people want to make sure that they're doing it right. We we want to tell and support with, hey, this is how you can do it better. This is what you can consider. Um, so we're still doing a lot of that inclusion consulting because it's it's, it's a huge desire in the animation space, especially right now. Um, and then just shifts for us personally. You know, you and I were really talking about. Um, me putting my creative on pause to build something for for others and I appreciate um, the tailor that did that for the last few years Um, and I'm just calling in uh, the tailor that's going to put her creative first because now I'm just really recognizing that hey we actually don't have a ton of shows in the animation space that have been created by a black woman I think all we really have um, on a large scale is the backyard against um, by what Janice Burgess. Um, and so it's time for that because once, you know, that show happens and it really only takes one show, then we can hire uh, 50, 100 black female animators or we can create, you know, a unique model for a show where there's a pipeline where emerging talent can learn on the job and then maybe be hired for the next season. So so my focus um, right now and JLS focus also as a team, our focus is creating content. Um, and we do have now a first look uh, deal with uh, Warner Media, which is awesome through their, um, their, they have this really great program called 150. 
Um, and so that's content partnership, uh, which doesn't, we have a couple of shows, um, through that partnership, one kids animated series, um, one talk show and another scripted series that, that I've created. So, so, so yeah, there's that just putting creative first, um, is really where black women animate is shifting. Um, and my hope with that is that we can create something that now I think we've, we've done the, the kind of like the back end representation where more folks can like see and know, oh, wow, black female animators exist. Like little girls can see that. Um, and so now I think it's time for that content representation, um, and to really put out ideas that folks haven't seen before. Not that other people don't have those ideas, but just like we haven't seen them yet. And so that's really the shift for us um, as a company. It's like, all right, we're a content making studio. Um, and in, in terms of work, it's really been supporting other studios and production companies with um, their inclusion practices. On a personal level, how do you stay motivated and creative? How do you, how do you personally carve out the time to to draw or to, to think about stories that you want to, um, that you want to create. And, and how does that look like for you on a practical level? Like, do you take, you make notes all the time? Do you sit down specifically with a diary? Like I'm curious about your creative process. So right now I'm editing a bunch of scripts because COVID willing, we're shooting a pilot in, in April. Um, but when I'm starting, um, when I'm starting, like I've been writing a couple films and when I'm starting those, I actually, this has been a lot of fun. There's this one film that's like on the tip of my brain that I have to, I need to just get it out. But um, what I do is I make a playlist, I actually make the soundtrack for the project, uh, which is a lot of fun. And I just listen to it over and over and over again. So right now I'm writing a, a film that's set in the 50s. So I have this really awesome 50s playlist um that I that I love that has like Sam Cooke and Sarah Vaughn and Eartha Kitt and so it's really great and also some great French music um but but yeah for me it's just about getting in the frame of the project um I had this one uh creative writing professor in college who was making fun of um, these other writers who were just like, oh, I'm just spending time with my characters. Um, that's what I was doing. Like, that's why I couldn't come out or whatever. Um, but really, I think just putting myself in the shoes of the characters and thinking about them over and over time, just casually. I do, like you said, I write little notes in the notes on my phone. Um, and then I think it just hits a point for me, like the film that I'm writing now, I've, it's been in my head for like a year and a half. So I think it just hits a point where all of the dots come together. Um, but it's a process of just like, oh, what about this here? What about that there? Um, and so, so yeah, my process, it's interesting. It's really tied to music. Um, I think music fuels a lot of my creativity um, and just being inspired by a lot of content. I consume a ton of content. Um, Where do you have the time? Oh, I, so I'm the type of person, this is not that great, but I, while I work, I watch TV. I, um, as a kid, I used to watch this animated show, The Winx, The Winx Club. Yes. Um, and there is a, a live action version on Netflix now. And I just binged that last night. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I, I was it. like, oh my gosh, I, was, I can't believe they did this. Um, so yeah, I do watch TV while I work, I work and I, I just make time for it. Um, because it 
it fuels me and inspires me. And I think just kind of like, like how the playlists run in the back of my head or like the notes, I think the content that I consume kind of runs in the back of my head and I borrow from it. Um, so yeah, staying motivated though, which, which you've asked, I've, I'm really working on shifting kind of my days and, and taking control of my calendar <laughs> because I do want to, you know, have from day to day be more in the creative space. And I think for, for anyone who is creative and runs a business and is looking to support more folks gain access, my advice would be to, to, to pay attention and to know what fuels you and to prioritize that. Um, because it's very easy to get burnt out. It's very easy to, I'm, I don't feel resentful, but it's, it's easy to get resentful when you don't feel fulfilled. And a big noticing that I have is a lot of the, honestly, some of this, not a lot, a few of the marginalized folks who have made it to, or marginalized identity folks who have made it to the executive level in the entertainment industry. Some are resentful or jaded in a way, I think, because it's just such a hard hard task to get there and to be the only one or one of few and to not be fully seen. Um, so really, I think people who are looking to to build a, a movement uh, and to support other people, like we have to see ourselves and to make the space to see ourselves. Because it, even if you're as a content creator too, if you are a content creator, you know, it can, it can take time for your project, for anything to happen with your project. It's a miracle to get something greenlit. Um, so just to take the time to feel yourself and see yourself, I think it makes a big difference in feeling you for, for what you're working on. And that was my conversation with Taylor Shaw. You can find out more about the studio at bwastudios.com. The Spark Podcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org. We'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks' time.